For some people, the conversation in today's podcast may be confronting. If you are not feeling at your optimum mental health, it may be best to not listen to today's episode. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please get help immediately. You can call Lifeline anytime on 131114 or 000 if a life is in danger. Welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. This is the podcast where we discuss career counselling, career guidance, mental health awareness and mental health training in the workplace. With your hosts, Patrick, Sally, Tina and Amy. Good morning, Donna, and welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. Hi, Sally. It's great to be here. Yeah, and it's great to have you along. So, look, today we're just really going to have a chat with you and what you went through and how you have come to be here thriving today. So, really, it's it's over to you. Can you tell me the start of your story? Okay, so where to start? Where to, <laughs> it, so yeah, I, like um, yeah, I've had fifty well-lived years, I think. Um, so I, I guess one of the reasons we're here to talk today, or the main reason, is uh, the mental health uh, uh, crisis that I had uh, back in two thousand and twelve. So at the time, I was a HR professional, and I had a young child, a two-year-old, and I was working on a project uh, in uh, the workplace that I was employed by. So I'd been there a long time. I'd been there around 16, 17 years at the time, but I was in a new role and uh, on a fairly high-profile project, first time as a leader in that organisation, and a few little incidents occurred that really started an unraveling for me. And uh, I'd always been plagued by self-doubt my, my whole life. I'd lived okay, with self-doubt. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I was probably experiencing, uh, experiencing some uh, imposter syndrome and, yeah, basically a massive crisis of confidence that just got worse and worse. So at the time of um, recognising that you had self-doubt, was that like from childhood? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so you kept going and kept going. Yeah. And and didn't really know how to address that? Yeah, I guess I just lived with it. I just thought that was the way life was. You yeah. know, it's just your normal. Mm. And I didn't actually realise things could be different, that you could tackle those things and, and uh, yeah, not have to live with them anymore. Okay. So t- take us to the project. You were in a new role, yeah. leadership. Yes. Not feeling equipped. Yeah. I mean, I recognize now, you know, the organization had faith in me. It was, you know, probably considered a, a promotion of sorts. And, you know, they, they believed in me, but I didn't believe in myself. And when I started to struggle, I didn't really let on to people what was going on. I just internalized it. I didn't reach out to people, which, you know, in hindsight, I, I wish I had. Um, by the time I did reach out, things had got uh, pretty dark for me. So I, I just felt that I was failing and that everybody could see it. 
and it was just going to be a very public failure. So I couldn't see how I could go on or how I could deliver what was needed in the project and I just felt like I couldn't do it anymore and I had to get out of there. Right. So did this creep up on you or...? In some ways, yes, but also not really because I had been in quite a good place. Initially, when I went on the project, I had big doubts. Um, it was going to uh, be difficult for the organization. Uh, it was a big change. And so there was resistance and and I wasn't even completely sold in the beginning. And over time and through conversations, I got on board with it and then, you know, did what I needed to do. But I was working part-time and I just started to get really stressed and I stopped doing the things that keep me well. Um, You know, I'd stopped exercising. I wasn't sleeping well at all. And Really, it was only sort of seven to ten days where things really heightened for me and I started just having these thoughts of being a a massive failure. Uh, A few different interactions at work uh, didn't go well. I felt really exposed. I had a conversation with somebody about this system that we were implementing as part of the project and you know, this person didn't do anything wrong, but she was a bit short with me. And, you know, rather than interpreting it as she's busy and, uh, you know, it's not a good time, my default then was, oh my gosh, she knows I'm hopeless. And now everybody's discovering what I've always known about myself. Uh, You know, I I am hopeless. Right. Okay. So seven to 10 days is is when this crisis really heightened. Yes. So tell us about that time. Yeah. My um my partner went away and uh, he, he went on a road trip with his mate, which he would never he, – he hadn't done uh, before that and he hasn't done it since. I often joke saying he's too scared to leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the manager that I was uh, also working with, I had a new manager and she was supporting me in this new leadership role. She was away as well. So okay. there were a few different sort of, you know, factors that – you know, may have changed the situation. Yeah, like I often think of it as the perfect storm really because, you know, a particular set of circumstances with my history just caused this massive implosion really. Uh, So in in that time my partner was away, I I wasn't sleeping, I became really – stressed, anxious, really anxious and was just feeling more and more exposed uh, each day and, you know, I'd take home reading to do and read it and I couldn't process it. So it was like I was just becoming, you know, less and less rational and, you know, my brain wasn't working properly. I guess I was in, you know, that fight or flight mode and, yeah, just not able to use the executive functions in my brain and, um, you know, my little boy was with me on the days that I was off work and then obviously in the evenings and and things are a little bit harder when you're doing it solo. Sure, yes. And, yeah, I just – I got to a point where – 
I just thought I, I, I don't want to be here. I can't, I can't handle this and I can't see how to fix it. Right. And yeah. I just decided that I was going to leave work and I spoke to my acting boss and told him that I couldn't stay and he was quite – he was supportive and, and, you know, he tried to talk me through it and, you know, just uh, had, I think he said that um, how do you eat an elephant sort of metaphor and, you know, just you can break it down and whatever. But by then I was sort of just like shutting down and just going numb. I just I can't do it. So I left work and over the next few days I – yeah, I just sort of tried to work out how I could move forward. That week I went to see my GP and I told her I was having trouble sleeping and that I was experiencing some stress um, that had been triggered by work and she suggested that I have a break from work and that I take some medication for sleeping. That was on the Friday before my incident were you going to say something, so Sally? So you went to the GP. Yeah. She suggested a break. Yeah. And were there any other things that she suggested for you or? No. No, not at the time. And no. did you, do you think that sometimes we say, oh, I'm just having a little bit of stress, we don't actually let it all out about how big that stress is for us? I think um, I didn't give a lot mm. away, like, uh, but, you know, I, I told her that, you know, I'm, I'm having this stress and everything. But, you know, her and I spoke after the incident and she, she you know, she was concerned that maybe she missed some, you know, really mm. significant sign or something. Like we had that conversation. Yes, okay. And, um, you know, I, I don't think – I don't think it would have been easy for her no. to tell. No. And, and the same with the manager at work as well. Yeah. yeah I. You, we, we tend to mask things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at that time, I, when I saw her, I, wasn't, I hadn't actually started thinking about um, suicide as, a, uh, as an, an action. Mm, or, yeah. A way out. Yeah. yeah. But – Something happened after after I saw her and then my partner came home that night. And so during that week I was in a, a pretty anxious state all, all week and I didn't want to tell my partner because I didn't want to spoil his holidays. So uh, when he rang, I, you know, I just pretended everything was fine. And he got to a stage where he, he sensed something was going on and he came home a day early. Right. And then I told him about how things were going really pear-shaped and uh, that I um, had left work and that I, um, I couldn't cope with what was going on. Yeah. And oh, as I was telling him, uh, like it just – things just sort of amplified where I thought, oh, my God, I, I, I just don't know how to fix this. And I started to feel really ashamed and – I felt like I couldn't see a way forward. So it was later that night that my thoughts started to turn to 
um, how I might solve the situation and, you know, started to, I started to think about suicide as the way out. Uh, I was really worried that I was going to get sacked from my role. So that that was really frightening for me. I guess I I associated my identity a lot Mm. with my work and, yeah, I just, I, I just thought if I, were to lose my job I would be a bad role model to my son and so all these thoughts were going through my head and I thought oh gee if if I lose my job then I'd talked my partner into refinancing a property that he owned when we met and I thought oh gosh we won't be able to meet the payments on it and then you know he's we're going to lose that, and and so uh, my thoughts just went to we all of the worst yeah. possible scenarios, mm. and mm. I just thought, which when you when you're feeling like that, it's it's very easy to catastrophize and to totally. think the actual worst because yeah. you can't see the wood for the trees. No, so, yeah, yeah, and I just thought everyone would be better off without me. Yeah, but they weren't, were they? <laughs> no. Definitely not. It definitely wasn't the answer. Um, but, yeah, I just – I really could not see any way out and I thought that if I were to die, my family would have access to my insurance money. Okay. And so that's when my thoughts started so you'd to turn so, to that. So you thought through this mm. and felt that you were going to be helping your family – yeah. Yeah. I thought I would be fixing it for them and mm. you know we wouldn't have to face this you know awful situation that I couldn't get out of. Mm. Mm. So leading on from that so you're feeling these things you can't see a way out. You just can't see any way was your decision snap there and then or or did you think of it over a couple of days or like it's such a sensitive and raw subject and what you've been through is you know I'm getting goosebumps listening to you because it's it really is such an issue and such a sadness that a beautiful woman like you honestly gets to the point that believe she's she's better off not here so clearly you didn't know any other answer so what what went on from there so on on that friday night i really couldn't sleep um and so just was ruminating all night um thinking, yeah, how can I fix it? I can't fix it. And then I just decided that ending my life was the only way I could fix it. And So I started to think of um, methods uh, that I would use and so that was when things sort of moved to another level, I guess. Yeah, okay. Did you recognise that they were moving rapidly to another level or you were just in that, that, um, that... when you were thinking about it, you were thinking it's moved to another level, but I'm still not sure. Or? Um, 
I'm a pretty determined person and sometimes that's really positive and in this case it wasn't so. Uh, And so, you know, I I started to think about it and then I guess, you know, I was socialising the idea with myself and and then it was like, yep, okay, right, I think this is the answer, this is what I'm going to do and and I thought about methods and I weighed up a few different methods and when – I think by the Saturday morning I had decided uh, what I was going to do and uh, where I was going to go and, um, yeah, so and, and so there was by then a, a degree of commitment to that idea. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, almost like a certainty, yeah, this and, is what I'm going to do. People often say it's like a sense of relief. Was there any of that, or yeah, I, I don't. Maybe, maybe, maybe relief as in the decisions being yeah, made. Yep. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And then I don't know that the Saturday is sort of a, a bit of a blur now because, in some ways, the Saturday night was really similar, where I just I couldn't sleep, and you know I had, you know I was thinking about it. But, yeah, my recollection is sort of like the – in terms of the methods and everything, that was on the Friday night. And then on the Sunday, I, like I knew that that was going to be the day I had uh, decided that I was going to go there that night. Right. To attempt – well, it wasn't in my eyes to attempt. It was no. in my eyes then to actually complete some design. Mm. So you said goodbye to hubby and your little one mm. and you set off to the Story Bridge. Yeah, so I actually had planned to do, uh, I guess, a, a bit of a recce. I, I thought I would drive there on the Sunday afternoon and work out where I'd park and just get a sense of, you know, I've walked over that bridge so many times and I've always had, like, this connection with the Story Bridge and I just sort of thought I'd, I'd plan for it so it went smoothly in the evening. So, yeah, my plan was to drive there to basically suss it all out and uh, I told my partner that I was going to get the groceries and instead I drove uh, to the bridge and, yeah, when I got there I did park and I thought, yeah, okay, this will work. And uh, then I walked across the bridge a couple of times and I was just thinking about what I was going to do and I became quite emotional and then I, I just had this thought come in my head when I was at the northern end of the bridge. Like you're here now. Uh, just do it. And so I walked to the middle of the bridge and climbed over the barrier and fell to the river. Right. Mm. Are you okay to keep going? You're doing 
Yeah, sure. Thank you. So, thankfully, you're still here. Yeah. I'm very glad about that. Yeah, me too. Tell us about post after, say, you'd fallen, you'd landed mm. in the water. Yeah. You probably don't remember a lot of what went on. No, not from when I um, resurfaced from the water to when I woke up, which would have been a few hours later in the hospital. I, I have since learned from my rescuers a bit more about went on, what went on in those, that period in between, but I actually don't have any recollection at all of that time period. So there's a big sort of blank for me. Mm-hmm. And I know when we sort of, um, for want of a better word, recreated it, when, when I, Australian Story were filming and I met the ferry crew who rescued me, they took me up the river and they showed me exactly where they had identified or found me floating in the river. And I had wondered if, if that would come back, either then or in the period afterwards, but it never has. No, and that's probably good too, isn't yeah. it? It's Maybe it's your mind's way mind's of way protecting of, you. Yeah, and, yeah. Letting, yeah. But they said I was conscious and my sister and I watched the Australian Story episode together with my partner and they were saying how quiet I was and my sister and I had a giggle saying, oh, well, that was definitely out of character. There was something <laughs> going on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the next thing that I'm conscious of was waking up in the hospital. Yes. And, yeah, my partner was there and his mother was there. And What, what did you feel then? I, I was a bit disoriented initially and, and then I guess the events of the day sort of came flooding back to me and I realised I was in a hospital. And my partner was, he was quite angry at the time because... He said to me, oh, you know, I, I can't believe you do this because you always said you didn't want to be uh, like your mother who my biological mother was quite disabled after a car right. accident. okay. And uh, nonverbal and in, you know, 24-7 care in the last sort of 20 years of her life. And I, I was quite sort of shocked because I thought, oh, it hadn't actually even occurred to me no. as, as an outcome that, that I might be seriously injured. Mm. I had actually thought that if you jumped off the bridge that you die. Yeah, so, okay. Yep. Um, I was surprised, I guess, to be alive and in the hospital. Um, I, I didn't know, you know, the extent of my injuries or anything at the time. I just remember this heavy weight on my chest because they'd put these hypothermia blankets on me because it had been quite cold in the yes. river. And I don't know exactly when it was, but it was very early in the post-event uh, journey that I just decided that if I'd survive that, I must be meant to be here. Yeah, that's yeah. 
Yeah, so, yeah, my, my thoughts just turn to, all right, how on earth do I get over this? How do I move on? What do I do? How do I make sure that it doesn't happen again? Yeah. So, and now your work is around helping people know that ways, better ways. And, and so you've, you've taken a situation where you, you know, really were mentally unwell. Yeah. You're meant to be here and now you're doing great work with this. So I guess what I want to ask you is because we're all about wanting to prevent this. We're all about, mm-hmm. you know, being proactive in mental health, in better strategies, in in decreasing the numbers of suicide. Yeah. I guess when you're speaking to people, have you thought about and have you what would you do differently? Now, yeah. Uh, if I was back in that situation, is there anything yeah. that you could have done differently? How how do we prevent this happening yeah. to others? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So uh, I think that it's so important to reach out. I think it's so important to get out of your head because my thoughts have become really irrational. But and you didn't know they were irrational, no, and that's the whole. That's the whole thing. That's the whole point of how that point you thought you were thinking clearly. I, I don't. I mean, I was thinking as I was thinking. I knew that you know it was quite extreme thinking and everything, um, but uh, it's that whole wanting to handle situations on my own and not wanting people to see that you can't handle things and, you know, that being vulnerable and saying I need help yeah. and that's the thing I think is so important yeah. and, and was missing from that situation, you know. I just didn't want people to know that I was failing or at least perceiving failure and, you know, one of the biggest insights for me in the 12 months after was just Failure, it's an event, it's not a person. It doesn't mean you're a failure. No. And so I, I think changing our you know, perceptions around that stuff is really important. The other thing is I lived with those self-doubts and you know, had this need to prove myself like practically my whole life, certainly my whole adult life and probably from being a teenager onwards. And I now know I don't have to live with that. And so, you know, I share with people the strategies that have changed my life. And I wish I'd known them 40 years earlier. Yes, that's right. You know, I think we have to help people to know. That it's okay to be vulnerable. Yeah, Mm. and, and that you actually have so much more control of your thoughts or at least your responses to your thoughts than you ever believe you know I didn't know that I could choose which thoughts to buy into you know to give oxygen to and being able to do that now it has been life-changing you know I'm, I'm 
I'm not going to say I never get a negative thought, but I know how to manage those yeah, thoughts And now. you're really conscious of reframing that negative totally. thought. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, and, of course, that's a great strategy and one that psychologists use for, for patients and clients a lot. Yeah. But how do we get that message out there? Because I know I see a lot of clients that, that they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And we're not teaching it in the schools no. still, yeah. which we should be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, parents don't always have these skills to to pass on to their children. So mm. there's this big gap in society is just with social media and everything else going on, there's, it, it's, it, there's plenty of people willing to put you down. And really it's about people, if they understand, like you said, that you can choose a thought, mm. that you can actually choose a negative thought about yourself or a positive one. And whilst that sounds simple, over time, obviously you've practiced that and and Mm. you know how to do it. Yeah. I guess I'm not sure how we educate people in this. You know, obviously the elephant bit at the time, but, but it's a message that, you know, you've changed your life. Mm. Um, and going around speaking to people mm. is is doing great stuff, but we need more people. Absolutely. Yes, that's right. I, I think the key to it is normalising conversations yeah. about mental health, mm. you know, and people being able to feel they're not being discriminated or they're not putting themselves at risk of discrimination. But it's still happening. Because of yeah, And that's And that's the part that... Yeah makes me want to because it's still taboo in a lot of workplaces it's still it's still pushed under the carpet it's getting better yes but everyone has mental health yeah do you know what i mean It, it it the conversations that need to be had is normalizing it but but i know so many people that still fear that they'll be judged yeah. Did you ever feel judged through it or did you impose, self-impose that? Yeah, my, my, I've always had a really strong inner critic, yeah. <laughs> always. I remember one of my uh, bosses saying to me, you know, Donna, I, I never have to ride you or chastise you because you're, you're doing, you know, you've totally got that under control yourself. Like, you know, you're um, – you know, got this heightened sense of like responsibility and, you mm. know, doing the right thing. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, this, you know, maybe even slight sort of perfectionist trait where, you know, it's, you're never quite happy with what you've done. Do you have that trait now? Um, no, I would say less so, actually. Yeah. So it can yeah. be changed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so much kinder to myself now than I ever, ever was. You know, it's like if I wouldn't say it to my best friend or my ah, child, perfect. I'm not saying it to myself. Yeah. And that, you know? that's a perfect bit of advice because yeah. 
if we wouldn't say it to someone else, yeah. why do we say it to ourselves? Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the other strategies you used to get your life back on track and be sitting here talking mm. to me today? Obviously it was a journey. It didn't yes. just happen. Yeah. And just wake up and get back to life. Like no, I often think of it as a quest. Uh, interestingly, it still took a few years mm. after the incident for me to actually address this stuff. So uh, I recovered and lots of people in our lives didn't even know what happened. Uh, right. My partner's, you know, he's quite private and I think there was an element of like, you know, that putting his head in the sand like if we don't talk about it then it oh, didn't happen which is just combating it really isn't it? because <laughs> it's just burying it. yes exactly and and I think in hindsight it made things harder for me because I felt like I had this big black sort of you know cloud hanging over me and I couldn't connect properly with myself or other people because of it and there was a day a, a, a few years after the incident, at least a couple of years after the incident, where I was with a group of mums I have uh, coffee with often and one of them, uh, quite a few of them left. There was three of us left and one of them was talking about some insights about you know her own patterns and history and I just looked at her and went, oh my gosh, she's like half my age and got twice my insight. And it was like something just clicked in me and I just said to these ladies, look, I have these really unhelpful thoughts in my head. I think I'm boring. I think there's something wrong with me. I think I have no friends. Um, I'm, you know, not as interesting as other people. Um, no one wants to talk to me. And they're just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like that's not what we see. You know, what we see is this really quite cheerful person, you know, who can light up a room when she walks in, you know, and I was just – I just thought then there is a disconnect with what I think is going on in the world and what other people are seeing. And that was a turning point where I just went, all right, I'm not going to live like this anymore and I went on a quest from that point to work out what I needed to change my life. And, yeah, it's been amazing. It's been a good few years now. And one of the big turning points or pivotal moments was self-acceptance. Right. <clears throat> and I – see, and I think this is a really important thing Sally, you know, in terms of how we change things, like we've got to get out there and talk to people and we need an army, you know, yeah, obviously not right. just you and me, we all need to yeah. be doing this. It is that normalising it, right? But I saw someone speak at my Chamber of Commerce and um, she talked about how it was actually a, a lady called Julia Baker, some people know her as the snake boss, um, and she talked about how she'd gone from being an overweight, divorced, depressed mother of two to having, you know, the highest rating show on Animal Planet and she basically pulled herself off the couch and shook herself off and went, right, there's nothing wrong with me, I'm just going to get on and create the life I want. That gave me hope right. for the first time. So hope, hope is a big thing, yes. hope that things can be different. Mm. And then I was at a party, um, you know, just before Christmas that year and one of my girlfriends, her and I were just chatting, she didn't know about my mental health crisis and it just came up about, you know, those feelings of not being good enough and she said that she'd had like six months of living that way and one day just went, 
right, I, I'm not going to care what anyone thinks of me anymore. Yay, I'm just, yes. just going to get on with things. Mm. And that, again, gave me hope. And I remember chatting to my partner that, that night and saying, oh, my gosh, I've just had this conversation, you know, with this friend. And I said, oh, it just gives me hope that things can be different than they are now. And they became that way. You know, I went and saw a neuro-linguistic programming practitioner in the new year. That was after I spent uh, the entire season at the Woodford Folk Festival just going from comedy act to comedy act because one of my favourite things to do is laugh. And um, when I saw this NLP guy, he taught me through this process, which I now uh, understand to be timeline therapy, but just going back to myself as a little person and um, giving her the gift of there's nothing wrong with you, you're absolutely absolutely perfect just the way you are and that recognition that I am still that person you know you yes. might get battered about by life a bit but you actually are these beautiful little this beautiful little soul and uh, you know that that was a turning point I actually struggled a bit with the visualization practice that he gave me because I'd never done that before no. and after trying it a few times I was sitting on this couch at home and really struggling and giving myself a hard time. Why can't you do this stuff? And then I just went, oh, you're missing the point. There's nothing freaking wrong with you. No. And then it felt like this weight You were judging yourself for not being able to do it yeah, properly. Yeah, yeah, of course. Which was an yeah. old pattern. And yeah. And just went, oh, okay. So at yeah. that moment it was like a weight lifted off Yeah, you. it actually felt like something physical shifted. And that was a really big turning point. So that self-acceptance, that just like, I'm, I don't, I'm a good person. I actually am a good person. I'm nice and I care about people and I do a lot to pe- help people and ne- not because I'm motivated by anything I'm going to get because I'm actually motivated by giving and helping. You know, that's my personality. Mm, and it's quite often the, the caregivers that beat themselves up. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I was just like, you know, I'm just getting on with things. And so, yeah, from there I just I, – I had started a meditation practice around then too. So I've been meditating maybe three or four years now. Very important, yeah. Yeah, yeah meditation Very important to all thing. listeners. Like, do it. It's amazing. Yes, yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> two things that I've picked up on, hope and self-acceptance. Yes, yes. So there were a variety of strategies that – that you've explained that got you yeah. through to accepting yourself just yeah. how you are. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where a lot of people struggle in the belief that they have to be what everyone else wants them to be. Mm. And you know what? We don't. No. The, and And understanding like going back to that little child and that little child got programmed along the way, not really knowing um, to be able to say, well, I don't believe in that when we're two. We can't say that. We just get programmed and programmed until we come out with this belief about ourselves. But until we go back and go, well, you know, was that fact? Was that fact that people were telling me this or that mm-hmm. and what people? And then we come up with what we perceive we should be. Yeah. And that's where when we're trying to live up to what everyone else wants us to be, it's a huge ask. And Mm. what I love about what you said is you accept yourself just the way you are. 
And that is, that is really beautiful because what I see sitting here is a beautiful woman that's had a, a, a big struggle and overcome it to go on to help other people. And, and that, that is a, a story in itself that what you're doing now is helping other people and it's to be commended. So hope and self-acceptance. Mm. What's one other strategy you would say to our listeners that helped you? There's, uh, I talk about, you know, like that hope and the self-acceptance as some of the sort of lessons and insights that I learned uh, in that period after the crisis. And there's like six strategies that um, I share with people in my talks that are almost like my they're my resilience strategies, yeah. you know. So I could share a couple of those. Yeah, that'd be for lovely. Sure. Great. So, so, so one of those is gratitude. Um, my gosh, you know, this morning I posted about gratitude on Facebook uh, because it's just so powerful. You know, the reason I posted about it was because we have this little ritual in our family that I introduced quite a few years ago, where we share one thing that our best thing of the day or something we're grateful for and my partner and my little boy they sometimes struggle with it just minding Mm. one thing you know and that my partner's like oh you know you don't do the sort of work I do you don't know you know my our lives are so different but I've trained my mind to see Mm. the positive things (laughs) through gratitude and last night my son was like um well, go on then, give me 10. And I gave him 10. He's like, 20. And then he's like, 30. I was like, stop. And he goes, I said 25. And he goes, 27. So I gave him 27 things that were positive about my day yesterday. Oh, that's so beautiful. And and I could do that. Yes. I could do that, you yes. know, which frustrates me because I think, gosh, why can't they see their one, no. you know? But it's so much a part of my mindset and and – the the default patterns of my mind now you know so this gratitude practice that I have consists of me and four other women and we text three gratitudes every day oh that's just amazing yeah, yeah. and it's been going nearly three years wow and yeah it's it's just self-perpetuating because it's um you feel so good from yeah. it you really your brain it's like the radar is just there throughout the day often i'll just type them into notes during the day yeah. as they happen um it's just so powerful and having the group practice yeah that's a really good way to keep it on track yeah because you've got some accountability other people are expecting to get it you get a reminder because i'll see their gratitudes come in or i'll hear them on my phone so that's every day every day that's beautiful yeah and the other thing that i just had not even anticipated is that you get to vicariously live the joy of other people so you're really in touch with your own you know, things to be grateful for or the great things in your life, but you actually get to read theirs and it's like a mega dose of mm. gratitude and such a, um, I guess, honour to be witness to these other people's lives as well. And so. that's really beautiful. And and I've got <clears throat> an example of my granddaughter at their school, they're doing gratitude, yeah. and she came home and said, 
<clears throat> Thank you so much for that beautiful lamb salad sandwich, Nan. I'm so grateful for you making it for me. And I go, wow, I'm glad you liked it. And she yes. said, we're doing gratitude. But what I noticed is she was bouncing around the house happy. And I thought, wow, like there was this instant change when she understood what gratitude was really about. Like I've explained it to her, but obviously something resonated with her. And it can make such joy in your life because, like you said, you, it's like you're living the joy of other people's lives. And, and it's one – It's a, if you just think gratitude, it's just a word, but if you live gratitude, yes. it, you know. It's so powerful and there's so much research behind it now, you know, positive psychology, you know, shown in studies that it works. You yes. know, people doing it for a week have been found to be happier for six months, mm. you know. It's mm. just it's wonderful, incredible and it's, it's not hard to do, you know. So I think getting the word out there about this sort of stuff is yes. so important, yes. you know, and, and I love the work of that positive psychology field because they're so active in that space. But, yeah, like we were saying, we need an army of people to spread yes, the you word. Do. We've yes. got to get to everybody. Yeah. Uh, so another example of a practice I have is uh, doing your thing. So for me it's cycling. I just think that we all need to be doing something that – puts us in flow something that engages us so much that five minutes uh like five hours will feel like five minutes yes uh, it's so amazing like for me one of those things is riding my bike and uh i gave that up for seven years so uh, after i had my son it wasn't something i felt like i could fit back in my life my partner starts work on the opposite side of town at six o'clock six mornings a week and cycling something you do at 5.30 but in the morning yes. stay away from the traffic and the heat. And uh, I had to look at that through the how lens and that's what I really encourage people to do, whether it's around coming up with your resilience strategies or other challenges that we have in life, how is the best lens to look at things through. So I now uh, go riding on Friday mornings and my little boy sleeps at my mother-in-law's every Thursday night so I can do that and on Sunday mornings I go out for my ride and my little boy has his weekly screen time and dad gets to sleep in and everyone's happy in yeah. our household. And so you're getting your time that's yes. another really important thing yeah, isn't it that time absolutely. out. Yeah. yeah so I've been back on my bike a bit over two years and oh my gosh it, it's absolutely my happy place. Yes and that's that's a fact that it doesn't matter what your happy place yeah. is, but it's important to have a happy place and yeah, go there thanks. at least once or twice a week. Yeah, that's what I say to people if, you know, some people know it but they're not prioritising it now no. and others they haven't found it yet and I think you need to be on a quest to find it because when you do, like, life just gets so much better. Yeah. So, look, Donna, we're going to have to call it a day but sure. I really would be grateful Grateful, there's that word. <laughs> if we could get you back and hear the rest of your strategies, <laughs> sure, so, so that our and and anyone listening, please reach out because it's okay to be vulnerable. And I, I've picked that up in your message. Um, and I think when people are feeling so low. They need the strategies that you're out there telling. And like you said, we need an army, but we can keep on plugging yeah, away. We can be part of the army. But I'd really love to get you back and, and hear those strategies of 
of how you did a whole 360 in your life. And we all know, we all still have ups and downs. We all know that. But it can be better. It can be better if you understand the little bit by bit things that we can do. So I really want to thank you so much for telling your story. You've given me goosebumps, but, (laughs) you know, that word hope is Mm. a big word. And um, so thank you so much for coming in and to all of our audience. We'll get Donna back in a couple of weeks. She's a very busy lady, but we'll get (laughs) her back in a couple of weeks and and do a podcast on the strategy. Thanks so much, Donna. You're welcome, Sally. Thank you. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please get help immediately. You can call Lifeline anytime on 131114 or 000 if a life is in danger. If you enjoyed this podcast and you would like us to appear in your feed, please hit the subscribe button and you're also welcome to leave us a review. For more information, visit careerdevelopmentcentre.com.au.